Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we thank you. Um, we thank you for receiving our offerings, God. And we thank you for offering everything for us through your son, Jesus Christ. So we pray today, Lord, that we might find encouragement uh, and conviction. That we might be informed and filled with your Holy Spirit. According to your word, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day uh, from a father as well. Um, it's funny, I, you saw me leave the service here. I realized I hadn't put on my uh, nice shoes. I was wearing my tennis shoes all morning. And I've been having back issues, so I wanted to be comfortable until I had to put these on. So if you were wondering, that's what I had to do. Um, I mean, that's what dads do, right? We try to be comfortable until that last moment that we have to be uncomfortable, right? No, that's not true. Well, anyway, it's good to be here this morning with you all and worship with you. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost, and we started talking about the resurrected church, uh, not just about our own personal lives and how we live into the power of the resurrection, but then also how we as the body of Christ as a community can live into that as well. And on Pentecost, the Christian faith uh, was born. The church was born because the Holy Spirit was poured out on God's people, and it was no longer just about knowing God's faithfulness or knowing God's laws. It wasn't just about knowing the history of Israel and God's faithfulness over time. It became an experience of God, an experience of his presence that all of us in the body of Christ from then till now, till Jesus comes back, get to experience. We get this uh, experience of knowing him, not just knowing about him. So we talked about that. Last week, uh, Allison was up here and she talked about encouragement, how we as the body of Christ, if we are living into the resurrection, we are going to be a church that meets together, that does stuff together, that has each other's back, that prays for one another. There's so many things in this world that detract from us feeling encouraged and uplifted and full of joy. And the body of Christ is supposed to be a really good place to come to find encouragement and to be uplifted and to worship and celebrate together. So today we get the fun topic of sacrifice. Woo! Everybody loves to make sacrifices, right? No, we don't. Um, what is this all about? Why are we talking about sacrifices? As you look through the scriptures, uh, the idea of what a sacrifice is in the Old Testament differs from what it is in the New Testament and Jesus and his life and in the early church. So we're going to kind of give some context for that today. Because if I say, if I encourage somebody to make a sacrifice for their faith today, it means something very different than it would have for Israel 2,000, 3,000 years ago, right? So let's, I'm going to give you some context on just a real surface level here uh, with the Old Testament and New Testament and what sacrifices look like. So in the Old Testament, on a super basic level, sacrifices are everywhere. They're evident. They were commanded by God, right? They were part of the way that Israel um, made up for the wrong, made up for their sins and their transgressions against God. Now, the first sacrifice actually wasn't offered by mankind. It wasn't offered by humanity. It was offered by God. If you remember back in the garden, Adam and Eve, they sin, they realize that they are naked, so they go hide, and what does God do? God offers them, prepares for them animal skins so that they can cover themselves. The first sacrifice wasn't humanity making a sacrifice to God. It was God actually offering something to us. And it's cool how that mirrors, how that parallels what God is ultimately going to do with Jesus Christ as he offers his own son. 
Now, sacrifices in the Old Testament were almost always tied to sin. They were meant to atone for or cover up like those animal skins. They were made to cover up the sin. And sometimes they were sacrifices of praise or thanksgiving, but mostly it had to do with their sin. And mostly it was with animals. Why was it with animals? The idea that a life had to be taken, a life had to be taken to atone for the sin of a person or the people. This was serious. Blood had to be shed. Now, sacrifices cost something. They cost something to the people making them. Animals were valuable, right? Um, their, Their whole trade system was bartering and providing for yourself. Some of that was hunting and gathering. A lot of that was raising your own livestock. And to sacrifice an animal, particularly the best one without blemish or the first one from that uh, flock, you know, that was expensive. And then oftentimes they gave grain offerings or grain sacrifices as well. Crops were valuable. It was their livelihood. And ultimately, these sacrifices that Israel needed to partake in were to show the cost of their sin, but also the cost and the value of the coming Messiah. Hundreds of years of sacrifice could not do what Jesus could do in his sacrifice. God's sacrifice for us, his only son, was the only thing that could actually measure up to the sin of humanity and take care of it once and for all. And there, in that, we find our gospel message. And the idea, then, of sacrifice changes with Jesus. So let's look in the New Testament. Old Testament, atoning for sin, that's primarily what was happening. That was what was happening with Jesus' life and his death as well. Now, Allison was in Hebrews last week, and in Hebrews, we find a teaching that says that Jesus' sacrifice was once. It was not something that was recurring. It was not something that had to be done over and over and over every time humanity sinned. It was once and for all forgiveness of sin that was offered through Jesus Christ. And so our idea of sacrifice now changes. There is now no need for us to atone for sin in the way of old, because Jesus has paid the price for our sins once and for all. We do not find grace and forgiveness through sacrificing. But, as a people of God, we still find that sacrifice is still a part of our lives, and it was part of the early church. The atonement for our sin, we experience that grace and that forgiveness now in relationship with Jesus Christ, who paid for us. But in the New Testament, with sin dealt with, the people of God in the early church we read about in Acts and so forth, they actually didn't stop making sacrifices. Now, they weren't sacrificing animals on an altar to pay for their sin, but they didn't stop making sacrifices. They didn't stop having God's priorities be the priorities of their lives. But it looked different, and it was for a different reason. And here's what I mean by that. They gave their possessions, their wealth, their time, their wisdom, And many of them gave their lives. They were martyred for their faith. Apart from Judas and John, of those original 12 disciples, um, history tells us that all of them died for their faith, apart from John and Judas, who took his own life. And so many in the faith, as seen in the New Testament and throughout history from that point, even today it happens, people lay down, they sacrifice their own lives, even to the point of death for the sake of the gospel. Now, this idea is that God has given us so much, and he's done so much for us, and lavished so much love on us that we cannot help but respond with our lives. That we cannot help but respond. And that response 
that we, uh, we respond with is not meant to be cheap, right? It's not meant to be half-hearted. It's not meant to be apathetic. There was nothing cheap about the cost of Jesus' life on the cross. That was the most priceless, the most expensive thing that could ever be sacrificed, the Son of God. And there was nothing half-hearted about God's plan to atone for our sin once and for all through Jesus so that we might find forgiveness and grace. And there was nothing apathetic about Jesus and his life and the example that he set for us. There was nothing apathetic about the resurrection coming back from the dead. And there was nothing apathetic about the lives of those early Christians that we are still reading about and reading their letters today. They weren't perfect. They didn't have it all together but they, they lived on purpose for Jesus Christ. Their faith changed them. It changed their life. It changed the way they lived. And so how do we view it today then? What is our modern context for sacrifices? Well, I think we are to view it similarly or the same way as the early church in the New Testament viewed it because the gospel is the same and the stakes are the same and the Holy Spirit that compels us and leads us and empowers us is the same. We are in the early church still today. With all of the ups and downs of the last 2,000 years, it is still the same church, it is still the same body, which means our understanding should be similar to what we read in the New Testament. Now, we view sacrifices, again, not as something that save us, so we're not doing that today. If you, uh, if you sin or you mess up and you decide to um, give a bunch of money to a cause to make yourself feel better, that's, that's not atoning for your sin. Uh, Jesus atones for your sin through the blood of the cross. And so sometimes we do those things to feel good or try to alleviate our sense of guilt, but really, we should only be turning to Jesus Christ. Now we don't sacrifice to atone for sins, and our sacrifices don't save us. Jesus saves us. But they do grow us, they challenge us, they encourage our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they show the world around us a different way of living than what the world tries to get us to do. And as we think of sacrifice now and today, we think not of paying for sin, but we think of this, that following Jesus presumes, or, or I would say even demands, based on Jesus' own teaching, following Jesus presumes that we give up the things of this world for something better, and that is God's kingdom. That is God's life. That is God's way of doing things. We part with things, even things that we might long for, even things that we might desire, even things that might actually have good value, we part with those for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of following Jesus. And that's why this isn't a fun topic for many of us today. Matthew 16, 21 through 28 that we just heard speaks to this wonderfully. And this is our main text here today. Jesus is telling his disciples what is to come. He's gonna be killed. He's gonna suffer and then Peter, who's the hero of the group, right, he steps in and he says, not on my watch, Jesus. This is never going to happen as long as I'm one of your disciples. And then Jesus rebukes him. And he rebukes Peter and Satan's, his, Satan's influence over Peter. And he goes on then to clarify the extent to which Jesus' followers, his disciples, are to commit. This is what life is about. Verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? 
Jesus says you must give up your own way. You must sacrifice your own way if you want to be a follower of Jesus. And could it be more clear? (laughs) Could Jesus be more clear? I don't know if he could be. We live in a culture and a sort of like Americanized Western church culture even where we, we want to hold on to our own independence and our own autonomy in this hand and then say we're Christians and following Jesus in this hand. And right here Jesus says that's simply not possible. If we're trying to follow our own way, we're not following Jesus. Now, I don't like this teaching any more than you do. <laughs> um, there's a lot of things to like about my way of doing things. Maybe you feel the same way. But if they're not God's ways, they're sin. They're sin. If they're not consistent with Jesus, if they're not consistent with God's word, they're sin. They're missing the mark. They're filthy rags, the Bible calls them. And Jesus warns us that when we live according to our own way, our own wisdom, our own understanding, when we hang on to that way of life, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to lose our life because we don't really understand what following Jesus means. And we don't understand what true life in Christ really is. But if we give it up, if we give up our life, if we give up our way of living for that of Jesus' way, Jesus says we're actually going to experience life and save our life and have abundant life. We will live in the power of the resurrection. We will learn how to thrive according to how God created us to thrive. And then Jesus says, for what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Right? This is an eternal implication conversation that we have going on here. What does it profit you to have lots of money or power or independence or riches or popularity? What does it profit you to have really good grades or anything else and then suffer eternal separation from God because you weren't living for Jesus? We need this reminder in our life time and time again. Living for our way, the ways of this world, and what the world values, it is a pathway that leads to death and destruction. And it's so easy to go down that wide path. It is the easiest thing you can do in your life. But as people of the resurrection, Jesus invites us into something better. His way. The way of the cross, which is there and there. The way of sacrifice, holiness, becoming more holy, sanctified through our relationship with Jesus Christ and the way of being empowered by the Holy Spirit and led by the presence of God himself. So let's talk about these more on a practical level now. And I kind of broke it into two sections. We have like our personal sacrifices more on an individual or maybe family level and then we have um, as a church we'll, we'll end on. So personal sacrifices, what are some things that we are called to sacrifice or lay down, if, if, the, if the phrase lay down helps you better understand, great, use that. What are some things that we are called to lay down if we are going to follow Jesus? And the first one of these, which seems obvious, but we don't always maybe think it's that obvious, is our sin. Titus 2.12 that we heard earlier says that God's grace teaches us to, quote, say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. Now that's a charge that can only be carried out in relationship with Jesus and with the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and through us. But we're called to say no. 
And, and then even here in our trad- traditional confession and forgiveness on Communion Sunday, we, we hear straight out of 1 John 1, quote, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So sin is a very real part of our lives. And we need to be honest about that because if we say it's not, we have been deceived. We don't want to live a life as being deceived. We want to live a life in the truth and knowing what is true. And sin is a real part of our lives. And there's a few reasons for this, I think. Uh, First, uh, it is inescapable in a sinful and broken world. Um, Whether we have specific sins we struggle with or in general, we are around it, we are influenced by it, we are affected by it, and it will lead us to sin. We will not live perfect lives. So uh, I hate to break it to you, but we are not perfect and I am not perfect. We are born into sin, and from that moment, we need the grace of God and we need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Now, the second reason it's part of our lives is because oftentimes we don't know better. We just don't know better, right? Like Israel, God's people, before the law was given to them, you could make an argument that they really didn't know better. And then even after the law was given, they still went on sinning, right? So sin is a part of our lives because we don't know better. God's word is abundantly clear Many might tell you that it's not, but God's word is abundantly clear about what sorts of things lead to life and what sorts of things lead to destruction. And oftentimes, we just don't pick it up so that we can know better what those things are. So we don't know better. Or maybe we've been taught this or that, or we've seen different sorts of understandings of godliness modeled for us that aren't consistent with what God has told us. And so we believe things and we live in a way that doesn't align with God's truth. So sin exists in our lives because we are ignorant. And and sometimes we are even willfully ignorant of God's truth because we have access in it to dozens of translations. We have it in hundreds of languages. And at the end of the day, we choose just not to pick it up and read it. We don't make it a priority in our lives. And so there's sin because we don't know better. And then the third reason that sin is part of our lives Um, is because we rebel against God. We actually do know better in many cases, but we don't live accordingly. We tolerate things that God does not tolerate. That's a dangerous path for us to go down. You know, sin separates us from God. Jesus literally died for it. That's how costly it is. And so when we tolerate things that God has warned us to steer clear from, we are contributing to the broken world rather than to the Great Commission. We're contributing to the darkness rather than living in the light. Tolerating sin and agreeing with it really aren't that different because it has the same result. Now, as Christians, we are called to live differently. We are called to love as Jesus Christ loves us. And Jesus did not ask us to compromise on what is true and what is good and holy in order to be loving. Jesus actually showed us that you have to be true and committed to God's word and be loving at the same time. Tolerating sin is the opposite of love. And so all of this is to say, we are to sacrifice that which separates us from God. Those sins, those habits, those tendencies, they put a barrier up between us. They make it a whole lot harder to know God's love and grace in our lives and to live accordingly. And sometimes we even like those things, which makes sacrificing hard. 
it's possible for us to like sin. That's why so many people choose it. Now, let us lay those things down. I'm hoping building a case here this morning that says that following Jesus is far better than living in those things, right? So let us lay down those things. Let us confess our sins. Let us repent and turn away from those so that we might live a fuller life in Jesus Christ. Um, this is the most basic level of laying it down and sacrificing, is to part with the things that get between us and God. Along those same lines, the second thing here is idols. Idols. We are also called to lay down our idols. Anything that we have devoted our lives to above God. The Ten Commandments in Exodus tell us that we should have no other gods. No other gods before the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And because of sin, we are really good at making idols over anything. We can make an idol out of everything. I could make an idol out of this cup if I want to. It's that easy to make an idol. I can be more devoted to this cup than I could be to my relationships in Christ or to serving God. I can make an idol out of anything. Now, these might think, be things that are not sinful. It's not bad for me to have this cup, right? But man, if I love that cup more than Jesus, I have elevated it above him. I have a God. I have an idol. But these things, even though they might not be bad in and of themselves, they steal our devotion, they steal our time, they steal our resources, and so forth in a way that diminishes our devotion to God and our desire to live for God and live accordingly. So this is super common in our culture today, right? If you're thinking through these things in your life and what you see in the world playing out, um, we make idols of work, we make it of sports, of entertainment, we make it of a thousand different things, and those things that are benign or neutral or even good can often supplant God from our lives. And I talk about my own struggles, right, with Iowa football in the fall and how I often make an idol of the Iowa football team. And my mood is dependent upon whether they win or not. Like, I've, I'm being vulnerable here with you, right? It's that way because I make an idol of it. Let's be honest. I, I put too much of my own, um, my own worth and my own attitude and my own mood and too much of my time goes wrapped and poured into something that adversely affects my relationship with God. It can easily become an idol. And so let's take these idols, these false gods, these counterfeit gods that set themselves up in opposition to God, sometimes on purpose, sometimes by accident, let's take them, let's throw them down. Let's lay them down, even if we like those things, so that Jesus may once again be the king of our hearts. And not just on Sunday morning, but every hour of every day. And the third thing that I think we are called to sacrifice often is that we would be willing to let go of some good things for the sake of God's better. Here's what I mean by that. This one might be harder to swallow, but I think it's important. Sometimes we are called to, sometimes we are led by the Holy Spirit to lay something down that is actually a really good thing. Many of you know my love for worship leading and music, and there was a time in my life when God had called me to seminary, and God started to stir up different sorts of gifts in my life. And it became clear that I was supposed to focus on those and less on that. Uh, now I still get to do that, and, and I'm thankful for that, but I went to seminary to be a worship leader or a worship pastor. I didn't go to seminary to be a pastor pastor, a real pastor. I didn't want anything to do with that. And I had to lay down and sacrifice something really good for the sake of something else good or even better that God wanted to do in me and through me. Maybe there's examples in your life like that. 
Sometimes we sacrifice something that is good so that God can provide something better. Or maybe God has something equally good in a different area for you to engage with. And that's where he wants you for his kingdom today or tomorrow. Now, be aware of this of your life. Uh, be, be aware. And, and then don't assume that the end of something good is God giving you the short straw. God may be just leading you to something equally good or better in another area. Nothing that we do in Christ, nothing that we lay down in Christ Jesus to follow Jesus, nothing that he calls us to do is going to be in vain or worthless because Jesus doesn't do worthless things. So keep, keep that in mind and have faith that um, God may ask you to lay down something good for something better. Now, all of this that we've talked about on a personal level uh, applies to a church too. It applies to a congregation and the life that we live together as the body of Christ. And if we want to thrive uh, as we want to thrive, uh, that's our theme this fall, if we want to thrive as a resurrected church, a people of God living the abundant life that we hear about in John 10, we should be mindful, we should be self-reflecting and aware of how our church community speaks to the power and the glory of God of the resurrection. And so here's a few things that correlate. Uh, let's talk about idols. We sacrifice and we do away with our idols as a church. Now, sometimes, here's an example, sometimes it's easy for a church to get wrapped up in a certain way of doing things. Uh, many churches have similar patterns, and that's not a bad thing. It's really not. But sometimes we find ourselves more devoted to those traditions or the way of doing things than we actually are to Jesus Christ. And if, if something threatens that way of doing things, we actually act a whole lot not like Jesus Christ when we respond. And so my prayer for us is that we would be a church that follows Jesus and keep our eyes fixed on him. That there's nothing that we do together as the body of Christ that would supplant Jesus from being Lord and Savior. That we would not make an idol out of anything about our existence as a church or a congregation that would supplant Jesus from being our head and leader. The next thing is we sacrifice and we do away with teachings or practices that have strayed from biblical foundations. This is important for congregations as well. And a lot of times these things kind of seep in over time. Uh, but we do not want to set ourselves up in opposition to God and his word. We want to be in line with and in step with God and his word. So here's an example of that. We see this in our world today. We have enti entire denominations that have rejected the authority of scripture that have begun endorsing or promoting politics or sexual ideologies or social and moral relativism, even though those things stand in direct opposition to God's word. So my prayer for us is may we at Emmanuel be a church that remains rooted deeply in God's word and truth so that we might not leave the way of Jesus to follow anything else. And then as a church, we may also be called to lay down some good things for God's better. What might this look like? Not, not everything that we do, uh, not everything that we or any church does, has to become a permanent institution. Churches have seasons and rhythms, and cultures and communities have seasons and rhythms and they change, which means that if we are called to be active and living out our faith outside the walls of the church, how we do things and the tools that we use are naturally going to change over time. There's literally entire books written on this, uh, especially with COVID and how churches had to adapt and change so that the message that we have been called to proclaim would still be proclaimed 
even if the doors of the church had to be closed. So sometimes God will call his people to lay down something good and something holy so that we can take up something equally good and holy or even better. And if we're not paying attention to the Holy Spirit or the needs of our community, we actually can miss those opportunities as a church. So may Emmanuel be a church that is willing to go where God leads us, that is willing to lay down at times what is good so that God can work something even better through us. And then finally, I think there's a tie between the personal sacrifice and the church. Because all of us in Christ are part of the body. We're a member of the body of Christ. The church is only going to be as healthy as the members that make up the church on a congregational level, and on a bigger level too. The body that has an infection in one area, let's say my hand gets infected and I don't treat it, ultimately that infection is going to spread and it's going to affect the health of the whole body. But if I treat it and it gets healed, the the body can be healthier because of that, right? Or if I break my leg, my leg cannot carry and function and carry the body the way that God intended it to do. So we need to have that healed and addressed, right? And the heart that is consumed by fear and anxiety or idols, it actually cannot encourage the body of Christ to grow and live into its potential until that heart turns back to Christ itself. And so the Bible teaches, says clearly, that we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. Christ is the brain, the leader, the decision maker, right? And for a church to live into this resurrected life of Jesus Christ, We, as members of the body, we learn how to make sacrifices, and we learn how to lay some things down. We lay down our own desires. We lay down our own way of doing it for the sake of the body. We lay down often our own priorities for the sake of the priorities of the body of Christ. And man, we need to lay down our own sin so that we, as the body of Christ, can be a healthier body. And we do this because this is the life that Jesus has called us to live. And Jesus doesn't ask us to do things that are in vain or that are invaluable or unvaluable. We do this so that we can be healthier. We do this so that we can be more vibrant, more engaged, and so that we can better proclaim the love of God to the ends of the earth as he has called us to do. So that's what it boils down to here. There are things that we should be willing to sacrifice. And sometimes God needs to do some work in our hearts for us to get to that point. And other times we're just stubborn and we need to go and do it. There are things that we should be willing to sacrifice and some of those we know are harmful to us. And other things we might be perfectly fine with in our lives, but that doesn't downplay the need for us to lay them down and follow Jesus. I believe wholeheartedly that that Jesus wants to lead us, each and every one of us individually and as a church, into this thriving life with Christ. And I know that sacrifice is hard, but again, anything that we sacrifice for the sake of following Jesus, anything that he leads us to lay down, will never be in vain. It will never be meaningless. So I invite you individually, and I invite us as a church Um, Let's turn away from all that hinders us. Let's turn away from those things that we pick up that separate us from God. Let's cast them down. Let's sacrifice them. Let's turn away from the things that have supplanted God as Lord of our lives. 
And let's let Jesus back on the throne of our hearts. He's not really off the throne, but we live like he is. Let's live under his good and holy truth. Let's live under his authority, his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Because that is far better than the life we can come up with on our own. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, for the scripture this morning. We thank you, God, that you've made it so clear through Jesus' words uh, that we are to lay down our own way, take up our cross, and follow. And we're not following um, church traditions. We're not following worldly leaders. We're not following personalities. We're not following pastors. We're following Jesus Christ. And simply, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would work in us and through us through the power of your Holy Spirit so that we may live that out well. We as individuals and in our families and as a church would be led, compelled, convicted to lay down our own way, to take up our cross and to follow you, our Lord and Savior. And Lord, we know that um, you have rewards for that. We know that you have riches for that. And we know that our eternal... um, Security with Jesus Christ is not something this world can take away. So help us to rest this morning in that faith and help, help us to, Lord, through your Holy Spirit and through your grace, um, take up these challenges of sacrifice in our lives as you are leading us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.